Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Nick Greenwood, Fund Manager of Mighton Global Opportunities. Nick joined Premier Mighton in July 2002. He began his career in private client stockbroking and was a founder member of Christo's stockbroking operation in 1991. He joined the Christo's Investment Trust team, setting up their London office in 1995 and became lead manager in November 1997. He subsequently joined Premier Mighton with the Premier Mighton Worldwide Opportunities Fund launching in April 2003 and that was followed by the Mighton Worldwide Growth Trust in 2004. Now, normally we speak with fund managers who identify individual stocks or bonds to build a portfolio of their investment trust or fund. You take this one step further by investing in some of those trusts or fund. So could you explain to us what the objectives and investment style of the trust is? Yeah, I mean, the fund has been around, as you say, for, for a number of years, and it did start out life as a fund of funds. Um, but really... Post the global financial crisis, it's evolved into a special situations fund. You know, the the investment trust or the investment companies world is is full of things that have become overlooked, have fallen below the radar screen, and we're we're really seeking just to buy things at the wrong price. You know, um, so yeah, basically seeking overlooked and un- unloved situations in the in the closed ended world. So, so what sort of things you are looking for? Perhaps uh, be that you know narrowing discounts or net asset value low debt, those kind of things, or or how do they play together? Well, I think what we're always looking for in a situation is something that we're incredibly positive about in a portfolio sense, but also an element of a special situation in in how they're being priced. And particularly, there needs to be a catalyst for that to change, for that typically wide discount to narrow. So a good recent example would be uh, Vietnam Opportunities, which is uh, an investment trust specialising, funnily enough, in, in Vietnam. Now, we see, we believe that the Vietnam story will gain, gain greater acceptance. It's been a beneficiary of of, of COVID and and um, the trade war between the US and China, because multinationals now still feel a little bit concerned about having all their eggs in one basket with their supply chains in China, and therefore there'll be some diversification into Vietnam, which is a logical place to 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 invest. So, beneficiary um, now. That story, as I said, will gain greater acceptance. But the special situation element is is that if you go back to around 2005, Vietnam was a really hot investment topic, incredibly popular, and a number of investment trusts launched then and, and raised insane amounts of money. So even to this day, you know, the two trusts that we own, um, Vietnam Opportunities and Vietnam Enterprise, are you know they raise vast amounts of money and and are FTSE 250 constituents in their own right, which up until recently has dwarfed the demand for Vietnamese equity funds. So they've typically traded on a 25% discount at, at times. So if you can capture the, a rising NAV, you know, the rising value of the underlying portfolio and a narrowing discount, that's an incredibly powerful combination, as we've seen with the Vietnam funds in, in recent months. Yes, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Vietnam opportunities. We actually spoke with them uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it does rather seem that even though perhaps in, in previous years, Vietnam was seen as something of a, um, I don't know, a, a tech hotspot, um, that particular fund is actually, you know, investing in this kind of infrastructure 
and, and the expansion that they're seeing there. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, you know, and it, 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 it it's a team we know very well. We 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 do a lot of meetings with with the managers of of, of funds, um, and a lot of our ideas come from. I mean. Quite often, they come from meetings that look quite uninspiring on paper, but that's why no one else has spotted them. And therefore, you know, two or three times a year, you you, you stumble across something that's that's really really interesting. So, with with that in mind, what, in terms of the trust, what what does the sort of asset and indeed geographical allocation look like? Well, it's it's a global fund, uh, and therefore it invests across an enormous range of, of asset classes and, and global locations. So, what you do get if you if you if you if you if you buy the trust, is is enormous diversification, and that's one of the reasons that um, people invest in the fund because it genuinely does something um, you know very different from 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 other funds. Also, because the closed-ended world is becoming the natural home for um, uh, alternatives, you know, so things like battery storage or, or song rights or, or, or timber, for example, um, you know, it's it's enormously diversified, um, and you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, 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 it's literally a you'll, you'll go anywhere, anytime fund. And could you just uh, perhaps remind our listeners why that closed versus open-ended uh, is, is becoming a, a thing? Well, I mean, if you look, I mean, the, the CAS Business School put out some research a couple of years ago, which suggested that your average closed-ended fund outperforms an open-ended fund by about 1% per annum, which is an enormous difference. And it was a sample of managers that manage both you know an open-ended and a closed-ended so that so it's, there's no difference in the managerial ability it's purely you are protected from inflows and outflows now that's not a big issue if you're dealing at the top end of the FTSE for example but if you're dealing in property which is a which is you know a very recent um, subject there is a fatal mismatch between the liquidity that you're offering your clients who can come and go at 24 hours notice uh, and what's available to you? You cannot sell a um, uh, an office block in a, in a weekend, and therefore, you know there have been a number of issues. We've seen it um, in a number of cases, and I think now there's a greater acceptance that you need this closed-ended protection if you're investing in illiquid asset classes such as song rights or, or forestry, as I, as, as I mentioned. Um, you know, it, you could sit there managing an investment trust and take a view a bit like a, um, a private investor that you can stay with that investment um, until it's natural time to sell. Whereas if you're running an open-ended fund, you've always got to be concerned about where you're going to get a few million pounds just in case there's a, there's, um, um, uh, a big redemption. And if you look at the position sizes between our investment trust and our open-ended fund, you know you can see there's a lot more conviction in the investment trust than there is that than we can we can bring about in the open-ended, because you've got that extra consideration about liquidity. And you know we're seeing enormous amount of, of new issuances. Um, I think at the moment we're seeing um, you know tech infrastructure funds that sort of plumbing behind the behind um, the net. Um, a couple of issues in in that area. So. All sorts of asset classes becoming available to investors via the closed-ended way, which you just could not have um, structured as an open-ended fund. Now, you've already mentioned uh, Vietnam, but in in terms of the trust, what what are the sort of top holdings that you've... uh within there? I mean, the, the largest holding is, is a thing called Baker Steel Resources. Um, what it does, it owns perhaps a dozen mining prospects. So typically, they, they start off life as a as a field in Siberia or something like that, and they, they, they use their intellectual capital to get all the permissions. Uh, and once they've proved up this is a, a viable mine, they typically sell it to a multinational who then, you know, then build the mine 
and um, you know take it up through production. And that's where you get the big uplift. Uh, this trust, I mean, the, the the first deal they've done is to sell what may be, if it's developed or when it's developed, um, the second largest silver mine in the world, um, and that was sold to a multinational and 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 will be developed. Um, it always strikes me that it's 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 a very small trust, but it, it has control or a big stake in some very big projects. Um, and you know, what they also try and do, which is poorly understood by the market, which is why it trades on 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 such a discount, is that when they sell, they try and get a royalty. So, for example, in the initial years of that silver mine, they'll get four percent of all the silver coming out of you know a very major um, silver mine. Which you know these numbers are quite big relative to the size of the of, of the small trust. We're quite positive about mining. You know we've been through one of these periods where capital expenditure has been low, and moving into a period where economies will probably be running hot, given all the stimulus you know that that we see around the system. Plus you know we will at some point be recovering from from um, COVID. We'll be climbing back out of our, our shell holes and, and 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 getting back into the into the economy. So things seem well set for that. Um, and you you know because they have these projects, you couldn't you couldn't operate this as an as an open ended fund because these projects are are very long lives, and you know you 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 you, you wouldn't be able to raise cash for redemptions necessarily at, uh, at short notice. There are all sorts of fairly obscure things in the closed ended world, and we look for things that have fallen below the radar. Um, and typically now, any any trust that's below about four hundred million can't be bought by the traditional. Um, backers of investment trusts, which are the old private client stockbroking firms that have all tended to merge into these mega funds of, of mega chains of, of, of wealth managers. So things, you know, typically that have got down to say maybe a market value of 100 million, just such as Baker Steel, for example, completely overlooked by traditional investors, and, and therefore, you know, they're, they're listed companies that, you know, that there is. The natural buyer has gone. Um, there's always some selling, and therefore share prices have to fall until there, there, there is a buyer. And sometimes they can fall a, a very long way. So one that's quite large in the portfolio at the moment, certainly one of our largest holdings, is a thing called EPE Special Opportunities. Historically, it's been a private equity fund, but that's been distorted by the amazing success of um, an LED specialist called Lysico, which which is listed, which now their stake in in, in Lysico is, is worth comfortably more than the whole of EPE special opportunities, which also has a lot of cash in its balance sheet. Um, it's got control of Wittards of Chelsea. Um, it's also got an investment which, which is very small within the portfolio valuation. But may well be, you know, provide a useful uplift called Farm CTU, and there, there is, this is um, a business that's done very well recently. It, it, it basically posts you your um, national health prescription. They are um, one of the market leaders in that, and there is speculation that Amazon's going to come into this sector and buy up some of the the major players. So if that were to happen, that would be a very nice uplift. And typically, this trust trades at about a at, uh, at about a forty percent discount to its um, to its NAV, simply because you know it's fallen below the radar. They're very happy doing what they do. They don't particularly go out and market it. And as I said, you you just need a situation where there's a little bit of selling and there's no buying, and share prices can fall a long way. And I think with our style, you have to do a lot of what we call watching paint dry. Because we can see where the catalyst comes for that, but that might not come along for eighteen months or two years. So you, you've got to be patient, um, and you know, um, sit with these situations until it's the right time to sell.
Absolutely. So so with that in mind, how have you found that the trust has been holding up? Obviously, we've had a uh, absolutely unique set of circumstances over the last year or so. Um, has that impacted on the fund? I mean, clearly, you've positioned yourself for the return or recovery. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we had a good crisis, although it didn't seem like that in, in, in our, our share price, the underlying share prices. There was no destruction of permanent destruction of capital in the portfolio. But what did happen in the investment trust world is that the market makers slashed prices to be levels that would be unpalatable to sellers, which did allow us to to build you know exposure to some of our positions. For example, there was a large lump of Baker Steel available at the bottom of the crisis at thirty nine p, you know, which was which is you know somewhere in the roughly half where it where it is today. So we benefited massively when. Um, it's particularly in the last three or four months when the market has bought into to recovery. We've had this situation. A lot of our stuff was trading on very big discounts. The underlying assets were trading very low ratings. And we, we, we've had in recent months this um, very powerful combination of um, rising NAVs and narrowing discounts. And at the, the beginning of this week, which would be the 15th of Feb, if you look at the five-year track record, you know our, our annual rate of return is, is, is 15%, which is um, – you know, whilst we do a lot of paint watching paint dry, and very little seems to be happening on a particular day. When you look back and see how 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 the fund has performed over the years, um, you know, we 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 we've certainly um, found a lot of interesting pricing anomalies to exploit over the last five years. So yeah, no, we're we're, we're hitting all time highs, and um, it's um, it's been a very good period for us. So in terms of the the outlook from here, obviously we've got the glass half full people who are mentioning their extraordinary amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus we're seeing and the fact that global economies are likely to recover uh, in towards the end of 2021. Perhaps we've got the glass half empty crew as well who are saying that so much stimulus could ultimately lead to inflation and so on. Um, what, what's your particular outlook? I mean, I, I know we take investment on a longer term basis, but how do you th- see things unfolding in the nearer term? Well, we see... Phenomenal amounts of of stimulus, both fiscal and, and and monetary, going into the in, in into the system, um, coming at a time when the economy will be picking up. So I sort of liken this to a bit of a sugar rush. I think that um, that could take markets for a while, um, a lot higher in in the in in the short to medium term, um, because if you pump that much cash into the global financial system, it's going to drive asset asset prices higher. And I think people will be looking at inflation. You're seeing bond yields going higher. There's a lot of talk about cost push inflation, actually, your demand for services and shortages pushing things higher. But I think, you know, you, you, you've got to look at the system and think, well, if you print twice as many banknotes, you know, does that mean there's twice as, it doesn't create twice as much wealth in the system? So, I think we we're quite optimistic for for markets having a um, another sharp rise, but further out into the longer term, there are, there are concerns. So I think you know our stance at the moment, I would liken to sort of sat there with foot hard down on the on the accelerator, but the finger hovering over the ejector seat button, and that we could have a very nice six months. But then further on, then um, there are there are things that need sorting, and you know the, the the amount of stimulus in the system is almost on a parallel with 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 the world wars. So you know there are there are prices to be paid. So it's not going to be very relaxing, um, but we could see markets a lot higher first. And presumably, the fact that uh, in in such instances as we saw last year, you can get an indiscriminate 
broad brush right right down of, of, of prices generally. But presumably, some some of your main themes are very much ones which reflect the future and the way that things are going. You know, we we've got a, a fair amount of private equity, which is really more to do with a, a time lag. Obviously, a lot of those private equity investment trusts have are yet to to revalue. Um, for a period that will cover that last quarter of, of 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 last year, where you know equity markets are very strong, so that's just um, it's just the navs are stale. They trade on big discounts, but but the the the, the net asset values, the portfolio valuations, will be going higher from there. So they're on on extraordinary discounts. Another thing that's working really well for us is is small companies in the UK. You know, we did get down to the level where these were on very low ratings. And one of the common themes within the portfolio is that if the if we find that the things are below the radar, they're just not being valued properly by the stock market. If you give it a year or two, the real the real world will come and take those assets off the stock market because a lot of things are cheap for structural reasons. That that you know smaller companies are cheap because fund management groups have got so large, you know, they if they they can't buy a hundred million pound market cap company because it just doesn't move the needle. They to make it to, to be relevant to their portfolio, they have to buy the entire company, and therefore you know, the ratings of these companies will fall. Not because anyone thinks they're bad companies; it's just the structure, the internal structure of the stock market and the fund management industry, um, you know, driving away buyers. If that position you know continues, then the real world will come and take those assets because they can see that these are incredibly profitable companies generating decent earnings yields at a time when interest rates are, are are virtually nothing so yeah i mean it's um uh, it, yeah it's it's a lot of the themes that we have in the portfolio at the moment are, are working very nicely well that's a lovely positive note to finish on unfortunately that's all we've got time for so many thanks again for your time nick and indeed for those uh, valuable insights and thank you for listening please feel free to like and subscribe and of course you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk i'll be back next tuesday with another richard hunter interview bye for now